Our gracious God, we come, we come eager to know you. We come to hear your truth and to be refined and strengthened. Uh, we come to engage uh, you, to engage each other. Our greatest prayer is that we would surrender before you and lay our lives before you to guide as you would. Uh, may you use our humble Sunday school class to guide us towards that point evermore, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So last week we started looking at a movement uh, that's somewhat hard to define but seems to be largely centered in Moscow, Idaho, uh, with Christ Church, pastored by uh, Pastor Doug Wilson, um, part of a group called the CREC, Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. And... If you weren't here last week and you go to us in the recording, there's this terrible squeal on it. But I just checked this morning on, on, on the YouTube recording. There isn't that squeal. So we're going to work at getting that fixed uh, in the next couple days. So I apologize if you had to endure that. Uh, this movement, it, it, we talked last week, is somewhat a, of a Big Ten theologically. There are Baptists, there are infant Baptists. Um, there's an array of confessional standards that the different churches within it hold to. But what seems to unite them is their view on what God's kingdom looks like in this world. In other words, how do heaven and earth touch? Uh, where do we experience God's kingdom in this life? And, and with that comes a, a lot of agreement on their approach to politics, uh, education, uh, culture, and things like this. And so last week we just simply started by looking at the history and the movement. Uh, there was a question early on, and I forget the specifics, but you know, is this movement ex within the OP at all? I think somebody asked that. Uh, and I forget exactly how the question, and I had some blanking, but thought about that. So we're going to talk today about postmillennialism. I'll get into that in a minute. There are a handful of pastors I can name off the top of my head who hold to postmillennialism. It's not the, the dominant view by any, by any means, but there are. As far as the, the broader movement, views on education, parenting, and all that, um, it, yeah, duh, should have hit me last week. Uh, the, the link I sent you uh, was at a conference hosted by an, an OPC in Torrance, California. And so there's at least one. Um, so uh, that, and obviously that conference was, was on postmillennialism, but uh, from everything I know about that church, uh, I would say there's agreement on, on a host of other issues as well. So uh, just go back and answer that. So yeah, there, there is. Uh, not, not a majority, but definitely present. Um, today and next week, <laughs> I had, I had hoped to deal with this issue in one week, and as I was preparing, it became incredibly obvious to me that there was too much to do, and so my tendency then is just to start going at Mach 6, and uh, my gracious wife reminded me that that's not the right way to go. Slow down, take two weeks to do it, so that's what we're, we're going to do, is it's going to take two weeks. But I want to jump into uh, their view of the kingdom of God, and specifically post-millennialism. Uh, uh, at least post-millennialism as, as they articulate it. Uh, 
I don't want to say that, that what we're going to talk about today is there's going to be some commonalities with everybody who holds to postmillennialism, but not necessarily all the specifics. Uh, I want to look at uh, their postmillennialism for a few reasons. Pastor Wilson has said very clearly that it was his starting point. This is what got the ball rolling for him. In the lecture I sent the link to you this week, if you watched it, he, he says postmillennial eschatology, postmillennial eschatology is itself the rose of all true theology in full bloom. It's what ties everything together. It's not pointing to something, it is the thing itself. It is the culmination of all that is good in biblical theology. This is the end, this is the goal, this is what's important. Uh, everything else flows to this or out of this. So it seems important to address as we look at things. I, I think that's fair. And that's, again, what, what this, this group, this movement has in common. It's this postmonial vision. This is what drives then the views on marriage and child raising and education and things like that. And so that's where we need to start. Now, different views of the end times are all known by what? What, what word do we use in every view of the end times as part of its title? Millennialism. Millennialism. Where does this come from? Revelation chapter 20. It, it, it has to do with your view of the millennium. What's a millennium? A thousand years. And so this all goes back to Revelation 20 and the binding of Satan. Let me read this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might, know, not, might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while." The different views of the end times are based around that thousand years, what it is, and when Jesus returns. Does he return before it or after it, and what does it look like? And so we use a prefix on millennialism for each view. You have premillennialism, which is what? Jesus returns before the millennium and reigns bodily in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's premillennialism. Postmillennialism is what? Jesus returns after the thousand years. Now, amillennialism, what does all mean? Not, right? It's a negator. Amillennialism agrees with postmillennialism that Jesus returns after the thousand years but disagrees on what those thousand years are and look like. And so I put a nice little chart on your handout for you. You have two, two groups that believe the millennium is known as an earthly reality where there, there is a, a thousand years exactly or a long period of time where there is physical, tangible, visible glory on earth and that's the millennium. 
You have one that says, no, the millennium is present on earth, but it is invisible to the human eye. There's no visible glory that's reserved for after the last day in the new creation. Then you have one group who says Jesus comes before the millennium and two who come after. So what premillennialism and postmillennialism have in common is earthly glory, but they disagree on when Jesus returns in relationship to it. What amillennialism and postmillennialism have in common is the idea that Jesus returns after this millennium, but they disagree on whether or not it has earthly glory or not. Does that, that's just very big picture, kind of how these three views relate to each other. So there's your, your handy little chart that kind of lays that out. Any questions before we move on? Okay. So back in November, Pastor Wilson gave the lecture that I sent the link out to you this week for. Uh, it was at a, the Bonson Conference, hosted down in Southern California. And in, that, in his lecture, uh, looking at Hebrews 11, he did two things. He first tried, sought to defend postmillennialism biblically. He says the, the exegetical, the biblical grounds for it are solid. And he says, I'm going to show that. And then he tried to set a little bit for a, a cast of vision for the future and what it would look like. So again, postmillennialism believes that Jesus will return after this long period of Jesus reigning, and it will be known for uh, earthly glory. In other words, uh, righteousness reigns, there's uh, no or very few non-believers, society, the kingdoms, the, the government are all Christian and things like that. Uh, so he wants to defend this from Hebrews 11. And if you haven't already, you can go and listen to it. Uh, I don't want it ever to seem like I'm presenting a caricature or a, a my version or things like that. So there's the link. You can go and listen. Uh, there's a few key points that I want to summarize. So he starts uh, in verse 1. And uh, he uses the King James Bible, which, when it comes to Hebrews 11.1, 1, is far superior. <laughs> so I was, I was glad. Uh, if you want to talk about Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, Pastor Isaac's dad is going to be here next week. And he's incredible on Hebrews 11, verse 1. Uh, he's written articles on it. They're, they're really good. Uh, he, the King James actually translate faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen which is actually what the Greek says there later versions have turned it into uh, faith is the assurance of things not seen the hope or the the conviction of things hoped for something like that and so it turns it into what I do and substance isn't what I do it's what I, I receive and, and so Pastor Steve Baugh has some great stuff on that um, so, Pastor Wilson quotes Hebrews 11.1, 1, and, he's, and he goes on and says, Faith is trusting the promises of God. In other words, faith isn't this magic power that we wield to do anything we want. Faith is looking at God's word and trusting that God and his promises are faithful. And that's 
good. That is fantastic. That is true. Uh, faith is not uh, the force that we can use for good or evil or something like that. Faith is only able to be exercised when God has said something and we believe him and we trust him. That's what faith is. Um, so then he goes on to verses 8 through 10. And I've put, I'm going to hit a lot of scripture along the way. And so I just put them in your handout so that we're not just flipping, flipping, flipping. Um, so he goes to verses 8 and 10, which say, Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker are God. And Wilson says, this is the key. This is the key that we need to look at. And he challenges those who, say, who would say that Abraham was looking forward to going to heaven when he died. He says, uh, he, he says that's Gnostic. Now, who knows what Gnosticism is? Charles. It's, uh, it's a view that favors the spiritual over the material. So your body doesn't matter. The earth doesn't matter. What really matters is your spirit and it's whether it's in accord with usually some sort of secret knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, that secret, and there was a group called the Gnostics. Gnostic, Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, knowledge. And the idea was that physical material world is bad. And, and the goal is to escape it. And the way to, yes? Oh, no, sorry, I was going to wait. Okay. And this is why the gospel is so radical. In yes. The material is good. Yes. Becoming a man shows that the material matters. Right. And everybody was saying, this is foolish. Right. The body just goes in the case. Right. Yes. And so the Gnostics said that our goal is to get away from the physical world and reach the spiritual realm. And some people in the church were actually adopting this and saying, yes, when Paul says the flesh is evil, he's not talking about my sinful nature. He's talking about my body, and I've got to get rid of my body, and I have to get to the spiritual realm. And Paul's like, then what about the resurrection? You're not done with your body when you die. You plant it in the ground like a seed waiting for it to sprout in glory. You're not, heaven is physical. Heaven is tangible. We, you have a physical body for all eternity. You might be without it for a short time between death and the resurrection, but you will have it for all eternity in heaven. And that idea was creeping into the church. What, what, but the problem is, Pastor Wilson says, if you think that Abraham was looking forward to the resurrection, or, or to, to heaven, when he says he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, that's Gnostic. And you, I scratch my head because... That would only be true if you believed that heaven is non-physical. And, and to believe that heaven is non-physical would be to deny the resurrection. You, you would only be saying it's Gnostic if Abraham was looking for heaven but no resurrection. Yes? Who do you think his audience is? I understand the conference context, but do you think a statement like that is for his all-male friends or is he more addressing 
maybe a dispensational notion, where it's like we're just trying to get out of here? You know, it's, it's hard to know, right? I, I, I definitely think in his conference he's speaking much more towards premillennialists. But premillennialists, there are some who deny the resurrection, I mean, of the body, but they're heretics. Like, that's not, that's not typical. Like, no Christian, Orthodox Christian, denies that we're going to have bodies in heaven. Like, that's, Paul says if that's true, we have, we're of all people most to be pitied, right? Um, but he's also making a case for physical, right? I, I really don't know because he says if, if Abraham is looking forward to heaven and not something on earth, that's Gnosticism. And I have no idea how to take that other than suggesting somebody believes that, that anybody who believes that doesn't believe in a physical heaven. There's, there, was no, there was no caveat. Some people believe. It was just to say that Abraham's hope is heaven is Gnostic. So, and I have to say, no. Not at all. It, it's not. Um, nevertheless, he says... Um, that's not what it's all about. Hebrews isn't talking about heaven. That's his point. So he goes on and says, Faith is the substance of what's hoped for, so we have to ask, what did God promise? What did God promise? And, and to answer that question, he goes back to Genesis 12.3. This is a great place because he's talking about Abraham's faith and God's promises to Abraham start in Genesis 12. So he goes to Genesis 12.3, which says to Abraham, I will bless you, and, I, and, and him who blesses you I will bless, and he who curses you I will curse. You might remember that. And, and so Wilson, Wilson looks at that verse and he says, that's what Abraham is looking for, this blessing to all peoples. And he says, that's the city that Abraham is looking for. And Wilson says, that's not pie in the sky. This is not about the afterlife. This is not about the afterlife. He says, we believe we're going to heaven, but that's not what these passages are about. Very emphatically clear. He says, what Abraham was looking for in that was not about the afterlife. Instead, Wilson insists that Abraham was looking forward to a time in history when all people will be blessed in him in this life, not the afterlife. And from there, he does a couple of things. Uh, he go first goes to Galatians 3.8, which quotes Genesis 12.3. So you can see these verses are in order on your handout for a reason. So he goes to Genesis, Galatians 3.8, which quotes Genesis 12.3. And, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And so... So, Pastor Wilson builds a case, and it goes like this. And to be clear, this is his, his interpretation, but I want to be clear on his logic. It, he starts with Genesis 12.3, and he says, 
God promised to Abraham a big earthly city uh, where all people live a blessed life, and this is post-millennialism. He says in Galatians 3.8, Paul calls that the gospel. And and so Pastor Wilson says, this is the post-millennial gospel. And he says, the gospel means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is the glory of salvation coming to this sorry planet. God promised the world to Abraham, and Abraham believed it. Okay. So where does that language, God promised the world to Abraham, come from? It's Romans 4.13. Uh, and it, it, God promised Abraham that he would be the heir of the world. And so Pastor Wilson says, God promised the world to Abraham and Abraham believed it. And then he says this, the afterlife is not the final culminating glory, but that Abraham would be the heir of the world If Abraham believed this, we should as well. So the afterlife is not the final culminating glory, but that Abraham would be the heir of this world. And that's where the blessings would be chiefly felt and experienced. Now there's more in the lecture that I'd love to address if I had the time, but that's the meat of it. That's the vision casting or or the biblical defense. The culminating glory of the church's journey is not heaven, but a period of time on earth where there is peace and prosperity and blessing. And so at the end, he sets a vision for what that looks like in the future where, where society is Christian, schools are Christian. And he says, to prepare for it, we need to be educating our kids, feeding our kids, teaching our class, working our vocations faithfully, and that's what God uses. Um, so that, that's, that's his biblical defense, at least at this lecture. And I, I don't want to say that's his only, but that's the one that's, that's most recent. Most, uh, it's a national conference and so on, so I thought it'd be a fair place to start. So what's my problem? Well, let's go back and get some clarity on what Genesis 12 actually says. Uh, God said to Abraham that he would become a great nation and all the families of the earth would be blessed in him. Yes. But the question is, how? Does the Bible define in what way they will be blessed? Anybody have a thought? Through his seed. Through his seed, who is... Jesus, yes. Galatians 3 makes it say, it says seed singular, not plural, that we're going to be blessed through Jesus. Good. But the answer is in that verse that he quoted in Galatians 3, verse 8. Because this is what he says. This is how the, the nations, the Gentiles, will be blessed in Abraham, being justified by faith. What is the blessing? It's salvation. 
It's the forgiveness of sins. It's the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ to my account as if it were my own. It's the hope of the resurrection. And the point of Genesis 12.3 is that's not just for Abraham's physical descendants. It's for the nations. It's the Gentiles as well. It's for all who, like him, would believe. And so Paul says, look around you, Galatia. You are Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ. This is the blessing promised to Abraham. You are saved. And this is why the Great Commission says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world. Go among the Gentiles, making disciples of the nations. The Gentiles, it's the same word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, salvation going to the Gentiles. Real quick, show of hands. How many of you are pure Jewish blood? Okay, Mom, how many are you half? My mother-in-law's. Yeah, I'm a child of Abraham. You are a child of Abraham, but not ethnically. But, but not by ethically. And so, we in this room are recipients of that promise. Justification has gone to the Gentiles. Salvation has gone to the Gentiles. We are living that blessing right now. That's what the kingdom looks like. That's the evidence that it has come, and that's what's happening. Regardless of whether or not the world becomes a bastion of, of Christian glory, it, it, this has been happening for, for going on 2,000 years. There are believers all over the world in almost every tribe, nation, and tongue, every continent. I don't know how many there are in Antarctica, but... But throughout the world, we are seeing that reality happen in glory. This is wonderful. Um, but Wilson says that can't be it. There has to be a physical, tangible, earthly glory and blessing. And to defend that, he uses Romans 4.13, that Abraham would be heir of the world. So what are the two different ways that can be read? He's the heir of the world. The earth itself, the, the dirt, the rocks, the trees, right? Or? System. Okay, so there's three ways. Okay, the system. Or it could just mean people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, right? Um, so he says that the inheritance has to be earthly. It can't be heavenly. To him, the world must mean earthly blessings. But there's a problem. Because what did God actually say back in Genesis? What was Abraham to be an heir of? I'll give you a hint. It's three chapters later in chapter 15. He said... Well, people. But he gives him a geographical inheritance. The land of Canaan. He says, from the great river of Egypt to the Euphrates. So this, this piece of land wrapping the, the, um, the shore of the Mediterranean. Um, 
That's Genesis uh, 15, verses 18 through 21. That's the promise. It's this small piece of land off the coast, uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Paul says, well, that's not really what God promised. God promised him the world. By quoting Romans 4.13, we're acknowledging that the language used in Genesis was but a small picture of a much greater gift. It's a small picture of a much greater gift. Wilson says that it has to be earthly, it can't be heavenly. He says it's Gnostic, denying the goodness of creation to say that the city that God promised to Abraham is heavenly and not earthly. Yes? So, uh... Again, sort of beyond maybe the resources this week, I think uh, in other places where he's actually that further is that he's making a distinction between the intermediate state, again, addressing dispensational brothers, mm-hmm. that the point is to just go to this ethereal place. And I think his distinction is that heaven itself will be remade, it being called the new heavens and the new earth. So I think the distinction here between the camps, and I was going to ask yeah. if you could clarify more would be what role does creation, the cosmos, and earth have? Yeah, that's a great question. In the relationship of the kingdom yeah. and final glory. Yeah, and so, so I want to do two, two things. First is uh, another pastor on staff of that church talks a lot more about what is the new, new heavens and new earth. Mm-hmm. I sent that link out as well this week, and I'm going to probably get there next week <laughs> um, and, and, and answer that. I do want to be very clear though on, on what Pastor Wilson says. He says the city promised to Abraham can't be heavenly. He uses that that's like a verbal, that's a quote. It has to be earthly. And he says the final culminating glory is not the afterlife, right? Not, not after the second coming. It's what comes before that the earthly kingdom. So that's his language in this lecture, and it's really recent. So, yeah. So he's saying that men, mankind, is going to somehow be able to manifest a reality of peace? Um, it's a works-based... No, he would not say it's works-based. And there's, there's language that will go both ways. Um, but he does very carefully say, we can't, we can't bring this about. God has to do that. Um, but there are other times where he'll say, like, this is what we do to prepare. Or this is... Uh, Pastor Sumter in the other lecture will get into generational sanctification. That each generation would be more sanctified than the previous generation, and that's what will bring it about. But again, they would they would they would not say we earn it or it's by works, but it's the consequence of generational sanctification. So essentially, purifying each generation little by little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I want to be really careful. In both both lectures, they're very clear to say we're not earning this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. This, okay. Just it's it's a distinction of means, mm-hmm. right? So they would say that the promises that are made that God, like we would say, God uses means mm-hmm. to do these things. He uses the preaching of the word, the bread and the wine. Right. That Christ bring uses means to accomplish. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and they would use that language. It, what I'm really trying to drive at right now is what their view of that kingdom is. Um, Mm -hmm. After that rain on earth, then the new heavens again? No, that is the new heavens and the new earth. That rain on earth is the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know what they would call what comes after that other than the afterlife. And we'll get then. So new heavens and new earth we're going to have to get to next week with Pastor Sumter's lecture. And, and it's, again, I sent the link out. So you can, well, it's not a lecture. It's a, it's a podcast, but he takes the time to, to open up Isaiah 65 and, and, and explain things, and it's pretty clear. So, uh, and I'll get there. But, but it, the point I'm trying to make here is when, when Pastor Wilson, on, on arguing for the biblical foundation for postmillennialism, goes to Hebrews 11, he, he gets to this point where he says, um, to say that what Abraham is looking for is heavenly is a cop-out. That's, 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 that's the cheap way out. So it has to be earthly. This is emphatic at the end of his lecture. So what's my problem? Well, if you're saying that this earth is going to be transformed, kind of applies against God's saying it's going to end. Peter, where it's all going to be burned up. Yeah, and we'll get to, we'll get to Second Peter next week. I, I, I don't think they would deny that. I want to hang out in Hebrews 11 for a little bit longer um, because my, my problem is that Pastor Wilson in this lecture stops at Hebrews 11, uh, verse 10. What would happen if we just read six more verses? Let's, let, um, let's go to verse 13. Uh, I think it's, yeah, in your handout. Talking about Abraham and all these others, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, the substance of the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. So while they were on earth, they were, they were exiles. They weren't at home, but they were seeking a home. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they were looking for a piece of, of geography that they could go back into, they could have gone back into it. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews will bring this back up in chapter 13. For here we have no lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. For the life of me, I don't get how you build an argument from a passage and say you cannot, absolutely cannot say the city they are seeking is heavenly when six verses later the passage says the city they are seeking is heavenly. 
they're exiles on this earth. Yeah, Katie. This is all really heavy, so I'll see. Okay, right. sure. Um, so the, the post-colonial view is that the thousand-year reign is, is, a heavenly, is a heavenly city on earth, basically. Mm. It is God reigning for a thousand years. And I, I guess why, why would we see that as being a heavenly city? Um. Yeah, all I can go with is, is his language, where, where he emphatically says, you can't say that he's looking forward to heaven. This is an earthly city. I, that's all I can go with. Um, it, he emphatically inverts the language. He says, some people think that this is heavenly. He doesn't say that's okay so long as, right? He says that's wrong and it's Gnostic. So I don't know. Does that make sense? It's, over, it's pretty over my head. Okay, I don't, yeah, I don't mean it. Well, I, I, and I appreciate that, and I, I don't want to, I, I get it. Um, when, <laughs> but in his lecture, he's saying that this is where he's going to defend this glorious earthly reality, and to deny that is Gnostic. And then he stops at verse 10 where it says if, if, if what they were looking for was on earth they could have gone back but they were looking for a heavenly reality and so that, that's just what the language says so but this is a view that's accepted by the OBC it may be a Well, it depends, right? Um, again, I'm trying to get into Pastor Wilson's unique version, right? Um, I, I need to I need to call a friend or two uh, who are post millennial and say, how would you deal with this passage, Hebrews 11? Um, my guess is. The guys I, uh, the friends I know, um, would say something like, Hebrews 11 is not talking about the millennium. Hebrews 11 isn't talking about the millennium. Yeah. And so they would say, um, no, no, no. We're, the, the culminating glory is after that. Not, bef not that. So, uh, yeah. There was another hand up. Right, John. Yeah, I'd say basically there's great inconsistencies then with Revelation. Because Revelation says the new heavens and earth will be no tears. There'll be what it sounds like Mr. Wilson's trying to say is occurring today or should be occurring we should be seeking that today so that's a better again he pastor wilson doesn't use the language of new heavens and new earth in, in that lecture um 
That's a little bit more what Pastor Sumter, uh, Toby Sumter, talked about in, in an episode of Cross Politic, and there's no way I can get to it this week, so I'm just going to come back to that and that language. And Isaiah 65, Revelation 21, 2 Peter 3, and I'll come back to that next week. So if you can just hold that. Well, yeah, I, just trying to bring up what's being said and, and why I see it as problematic in, in, in this grounding. So, Charlie. Yeah, I, I was just wondering if, if there could be a more violation of distinction. Again, I appreciate Katie's question. The post, 100 years ago, post-millennialism and omnipotent and were indiscernible. The Puritans mostly had semi optimistic ideas. Jonathan Edwards, Will High, Will Hill, and what it comes down to is I think the, the, hint, the hint point that we're going to keep tripping over is the view of the, of the earth. Yeah. Do the people compare the earth? Is the earth restored? Is it destroyed completely? Yeah. And the idea of grace. So uh, listening to other stuff this week in preparation, mm-hmm. um, I think the distinction that Doug Wilson's trying to make is that uh, the intermediate state, that if you think that you're just you're going away and this earth has no relationship to glory, then you need to reconsider that. And that glory, does it either fall on creation like a bomb at the end of time, or is it gradual like a mustard seed? Yeah. And I think his view of the kingdom, which is what you're talking about, is that you're making this distinction. He wouldn't, I think, disagree with us and listen to what he says, that the kingdom is the church, but the kingdom can synonymously be called the reign of Christ in the hearts of men. And as the church grows, the reign, therefore, the kingdom grows and goes to the sea coast and the sea coast. So he doesn't differentiate or separate the kingdom of God from the people of God. Well, okay, so there's a lot there. And so in my 45 seconds left, let me say this. Um, First of all, you use the word optimistic. There are, yeah, you said, yeah, you said, you said it was virtually indistinguishable 150 years ago. There were just more optimistic versions. No, I didn't. This is a this is a word that gets thrown a lot. Uh, there's optimistic pes- uh, eschatology, views of the end times, and pessimistic. There, in relation to the earth. In relationship to the earth. Yeah, that. That's a big distinction. Yeah. There are no pessimistic Christian eschatologies. Every Christian believes Jesus wins. Right. Period. I don't know one Christian who thinks, yeah, Satan wins. I don't. So there are no pessimistic. They, they differ on what that looks like from an earthly perspective. That was my distinction. Okay. Okay. I want, I want to make that. Um, and, and there is a huge distinction on what we call the kingdom in this world. Is it a visible manifestation that, and so, so Pastor Wilson gets very opposed to uh, the idea that there are two kingdoms in this world. And so, and, and, and that's what he, that's difference. And so for him, the kingdom has to have this earthly glory. We have a very different, I have a very different view. Um, and, and we'll get into that. And so um, when, um, when we talk about building the kingdom, uh, it sounds very different on what is focused on. So it is different, yeah. I, 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 okay, it's 1045, so I'm going to let you ask one question. Kind of what Charlie was asking is, do you think there's been a, a shift in uh, 
I'm, yeah, I'm really not an expert on the history of postmillennialism, so I, I, I couldn't begin to answer that. Um, and um, all I can say is, this is the vision being cast. This is the passage used to do that. And here's my problem with how this passage was ex explained and what I see it saying. Um, uh, we'll go next week, Lord willing, into the language of the new heavens and the new earth, and um, we'll go there. So that's my plan. Thanks for bearing with me. Sorry for getting into the weeds. I, that's not my goal. Um, just trying to wrestle with the, what's out there. All right, let's pray. Our gracious God, you are good and kind, and we thank you. We ask that you would uh, bless our time and our studies, and that you would help us to uh, bring all things under the scrutiny of your word. Help us to humbly submit in everything to the good prophet Jesus Christ in his word. We ask this, and we pray that you would prepare us to enter into your heavenly city in just a few minutes as we gather for worship. May you be exalted among us, we pray. Amen.